uh, really thankful to be here uh, with you this morning. As it turns out, I am fond of you. Really and truly. I like coming here frequently. This is really fun to be with you and to worship with you and, and really thankful for the opportunity to talk and to kick some things, some ideas around too. Mike, good to see you, buddy. How are you? I just met Mike on uh, yes, uh, Friday, so two days ago. Good to see you, man. Welcome. Yeah. Um, okay, so a couple of, I think a couple of weeks ago, Mark started talking about this thing that he found. It was from the American University in Cairo. It was an idea that they did a bunch of research and found that there's kind of three main common reasons why people fall in love. And I think he wanted to say, not just for human relationships and to help you figure out how to fall in love, if that's a thing uh, that you're interested in, but really, it's how do you fall in love with God? That's what he's really trying to focus on. And so he broke it down last week. He talked about intimacy. And I think this study talked about intimacy as um, falling in love for intimate reasons. This is kind of a little bit different than how I would describe it, but still, it's, it's worth noting that uh, you can fall in love and uh, develop a relationship just with basic, base-level friendship. So, like, in my relationship with Tara, my sweetheart, we just celebrated 19 years of being married. Pretty fun. I happen to like her a lot, so that's a win for me. Um, uh, I had this rhythm, usually when I was younger, I would date girls, and then I would, like, go way too fast, way too quick, and then my relationships would typically explode um, because there wasn't any friendship. So friendship is, I would say, the most fundamental thing about my relationship with Tara is probably just the friendship that I've developed with her. In fact, her and I sing in a band uh, called Mountain City, and we were down in Aurora the other day playing. We're just doing a bunch of love songs right across the street from the University Hospital down there. And this couple came up to us afterward and said, oh, love your music. And I told her that we just celebrated our 19th anniversary. And she was like, whoa, so... I asked them how long they'd been together, and they said a couple of years. So I said, uh, man, that's awesome. Congratulations. And she said, well, tell me the secret for being happily married for 19 years. I didn't even blink. I was like, it's friendship. It is It is 100% friendship. So growing up, I didn't have an awesome marriage kind of uh, to look at. My parents got divorced when I was 12, and their relationship wasn't good really leading up to that. And so I didn't really have like a good model to look at. Like, hey, that's a good marriage. I like the way that looks. In fact, I think what was kind of modeled for me was, uh, have you heard the phrase the old ball and chain? It's like, uh, it's this idea that you're kind of connected, but you're not really, you don't really like each other. So that's kind of what I had modeled for me, a bunch of uh, relationships around me at that time. They were married, but they didn't really like each other. So that's what I was going into my marriage with. So just before I got married, I was driving down a highway, Highway 85 here in Colorado, and I felt like God stopped, like he got my attention while I was driving, and he said, hey, so the way that you think about marriage is you think that you'll have permission to treat her poorly if she does something that you don't like. He said, but let me ask you a question. Do you cuss your friends out? And I was like, well, no. So do you treat them like garbage? No. I don't treat my friends like garbage. 
why not? I said, because I would not have any friends if I did that. If I treated them bad, I'd, I'd like to have no friends. And I like to have friends, so I'm not going to treat them bad. He said, all right, so treat Tara like the best friend you've ever had. Don't yell at her. Don't scream at her. Don't cuss at her. Don't put her down. Treat her like the best friend you have. And so I'm not totally not perfect at that, but for the last you know, 20 years of now knowing her, 19 years of being married, I've tried to do that in general. I've tried to just treat her the best that I could. That's how this particular study defined intimacy. It defined it as having friendship. But then they made this distinction because they broke it down into three categories. One is friendship, one is passion, and one is commitment. And they said you can have intimacy or friendship without having passion or commitment. You can have friendship, but you can also kind of keep somebody at a distance there and not really let them in to hurt you pretty bad. You know, I remember sharing some information with Tara about my life that was super personal when we were dating. And then I clammed up. I was like, oh, no, because I knew that with that information, she could hurt me. It freaked me out, too. I started backpedaling. And then I realized I just have an opportunity to trust her. I, I need to, especially now because I just uh, spilled the beans. <laughs> so now I guess I'm into it. But um, friendship at a fundamental level is the greatest joy of my relationship with Tara. Now this study keeps on going and it says passion. Passion is the second reason why people typically, quote, fall in love. And it basically talks about a strength of emotion. So anybody had any strong emotions lately, positive or negative? Yeah? Yeah, me too. Um, this idea of passion is what we're going to cover more uh, later today or, you know, just here in a minute. But usually, if you have a passion or passionate relationship, you might actually lack some intimacy and some commitment. That's kind of what this study is framing up. The last thing is commitment. It said, you know, this is people that want to seek stability. They want to seek a healthy relationship. But Commitment all by itself, stability and healthy relationship, whatever that means to people. If you don't have intimacy and you don't have passion, then it's going to be, an, you know, it's going to be a good relationship, maybe just not the best. So it's lacking some things. So if you dive in a little bit different, so let's step away from the, the, uh, the study. Mark said, you know what, I like that study because I can see intimacy, passion, and commitment all in the scripture. So I think that there's some validity to that study. Not necessarily agreeing with 100% of what it's saying, but I think that a lot of it's good. When you pop over to Webster's Dictionary, intimacy is defined as something that is close in familiarity or friendship. It's like mutual affection and warmth. You know those people. You've seen them like for five minutes. You just met them. You look at them in the eyeballs and you go, I like you. There's something about you. I just like, we resonate somehow. I don't know what it is, but there's something I like about you. Kyle, when you walked up to me this morning and said hi, I thought, yeah, I like Kyle. Hmm. There's something about you I like. I don't know you very well, just talking for a few minutes. But there's something about you I like. Something, and it's not that way with everybody. I mean, can we agree about that? You ever Have you ever met somebody that you're like, yeah, we're never going to be friends? <laughs> it's like horrible to say, but you know you know those people because, you know, you're just like, mm -mm, we're probably not going to get along. We're just probably not going to. Uh, you're not trying to be a jerk or anything. You just don't resonate too much with them. 
This word passion in the dictionary is defined a couple of different ways. It just talks about strong or overwhelming, barely controllable emotion. But it also has a secondary meaning, and maybe you've heard this. The passion is a word to describe the suffering of Jesus. Actually, if you go all the way back to the like where the word passion started showing up, it typically means pain. Like in our culture today, we're talking about like passion means like go after it, go for it. What are your dreams? Run after that thing, you know, tackle them and, and go after it. But in the original meaning, it meant pain. It may, meant suffering. What are you willing to suffer for? What do you love so much it hurts? And that's an interesting thing because then you start breaking that down. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate to you. It's like, I love you so much it hurts me. I'm willing to embrace pain for you. Like, I don't want you to go through your pain alone. I want to go through it with you. And I'm not just like standing there while you go through it. Jesus is very empathetic. By that I mean he doesn't just stand at a distance while you're going through pain and like, ooh, that looks tough, man, sorry. He feels your pain. You're not alone when you're going through your pain. Not only is he with you, but he's experiencing that thing along with you. This is why the Bible says we have this awesome high priest who knows everything that we've been through. He doesn't just know it. He's experienced it because he's with you. Close your eyes for me really quick. Well, you don't have to, but I want to invite you to do it. Where is Jesus right now? For you, in this moment. Where is he? Close, wide. He says he'd never leave you or forsake you, so he's here, there. Where is he? You can open up your eyes. The last thing that, that Webster's Dictionary says, commitment is a promise. It's a, a firm decision. It's an agreement or a pledge to do something in the future. It's an act of binding yourself to somebody or something. So Mark's going to talk about commitment next week, but I get the... Uh, the privilege of talking to you about passion this week. So um, I think if I was going to reframe the word passion, I'd probably say desire or longing. And the Bible actually talks quite a bit about desire, talks about passion a lot. But sometimes when the Bible talks about desire or passion, it talks about it in the frame or framework of evil desires. So I'll, I'll give you some examples. This is uh, James chapter 1. I'm not going to put the, screen, the verses up on the screen, so just, you know, it's, it's story time with Dave. So you can just listen along. Okay? It says a person or a, a, yeah, a person is really blessed or happy or fortunate when they're patient under trials or stand up against temptations. That person is blessed. Because when he stands there, and he's approved, he's going to receive a victor's crown from God. I wonder what that looks like. That sounds fascinating. Because God's promised a victor's crown for people that love him. 
You let nobody say that when they're tempted that God was the one that tempted them. God is incapable of being tempted by evil, but he also doesn't tempt anybody to do evil. So if you're ever wondering in your life, like if a temptation comes up to you, if you're wondering, oh, man, is this God tempting me to do evil? The answer is no. He doesn't tempt you to do evil. He isn't tempted by evil and he won't tempt you to do evil stuff. But every person is tempted. Can we all agree with that? Did you know that even Jesus was tempted? Did you know that it's not a sin to be tempted? Jesus was perfect. He got tempted. It's just like, what do you do with the temptation? How do you follow through? What are the decisions you make as a result of the temptation? Everybody's going to get tempted. The question is, what are you going to do with it? So it says, everybody is tempted when they're drawn away, enticed by their own evil desires. Here's what that word evil desires means. It means lusts or it means passions. We hear the word lust, we automatically think about it in a sexual context, which it is part of that. But if I could break down lust in a definition, it's just this. Taking something for yourself. Love, I would say, is giving of yourself. And lust is taking for yourself. If you're taking notes, that's a good distinction, something to write down. Love is when you give of yourself. Lust is when you take something for yourself. You're the focus and the center when you take something for yourself. Others are the center when you give of yourself. Does that make sense? So the author of James here, he goes, hey, don't be misled, everybody, brothers and sisters. Uh, If you give in to those evil desires, those lusts, those passions, it'll plant a seed in you that'll grow and it will conceive sin. It will then give birth to sin. And when it's fully matured, it'll bring forth death. So we have a little baby in here. How old? Three months. Oh, man. Just relaxed. Having a beverage, a meal, three months old. Fantastic. Just like how babies are formed, the there's a fertilization process, there's a growth process, there's a delivery process to pain, to sin. I don't know if you've noticed this in your life, that sin always costs more than you thought it would. The results always last longer than you thought they would. It always takes you further than you thought you would go. So basically the writer's just giving you a picture. Everybody gets tempted, number one. If you give in to that thing, it plants a seed in you, and it always takes you further, costs more, lasts longer. Does that make sense? So, I mean, look around the room. Literally everybody in here has been tempted and has followed through on temptations. None of us are perfect. None of us have our stuff together, okay? Um, Here's another example. Galatians chapter 5 says, People that belong to Jesus, the Messiah, have crucified the flesh. The, The language here is, Everybody has this godless human nature, and it's full of passions and appetites and desires. Like, let's say that uh, no restraints were put on you. You could just do whatever you wanted from uh, the time you were a little kid. What do you think your life would be like now? No restraints. What's it? Never told no. Just do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. You think that kid would be like a, a sterling, wonderful, beautiful contribution to society? No way. People are selfish, man. We all are. So what would what would that person be? It'd be like selfish on steroids. We see examples of folks like this on a fairly regular basis. No restraints. However, 
it's not just the restraints that keep you in good shape, in good alignment, because lots of people are hyper-restrained, and they're still a disaster. It's not the restraints that set you free or puts you in a good direction in life. What gives you a good direction in life is when you humble yourself before God and surrender your life to him. You tell him, hey, my life isn't my own anymore. You bought my life, so whatever you want to do, I'll do that. Does that make sense? Get some feedback, people. Dear friends, does that make sense? So, yeah, we see examples, negative examples of what passion means. Here's another one. Ephesians 4, it says, let all bitterness, anger, wrath, passion, rage, bad temper, resentment, quarreling, slander be banished from you. Instead, be helpful and kind to each other. Forgive each other readily and freely, just like Jesus forgave you. So you see these examples where it talks about passions, and it's typically related to selfishness. It typically is related to some pretty major emotions. And the fundamental, in these examples, the fundamental emotion would be anger. Anybody been angry lately? Yeah, yeah, me too. But let me give you some different examples of what passion and desire are in the Bible. You guys ready? So, Are you ready? Okay. Psalm 119. It says, my passion and delight is in your word. I love what you have to say to me. So the psalmist is writing. He's like, man, I am passionate about God. I love his word. I love when he talks to me. It's one of my favorite things. The psalmist also writes, my heart, God, is quiet and it's confident, and now I can sing with passion your wonderful praises. A different spot. The psalmist writes, what joy overwhelms anybody who keeps the ways of God, those who seek him with their heart's passion. Let me run that back. If you'd like overwhelming joy in your life, the psalmist says, seek God with your heart's passion. Like, What, is, what does that mean? We're going to break that down. Here's another one. I have longed for you with a passion of my heart. Don't let me stray from your directions. This is like the psalmist is, has his heart. He's like, Dude, I don't want to mess this up, Lord. I want to be right on time, right on focus. I want to utilize my life so it has the most impact for your glory. Please don't let me stray from this. This is really important to me. This is cool. He said, I'm passionate about this. Listen to this one. We live in joyful confidence, yet at the same time, we take delight in the fact of leaving our bodies behind at some point so that we can be at home with the Lord. Whether we live or die, we're going to make it our life's passion to live our lives fully pleasing to him. I remember when I was, uh, I was 16, I was actually going through some really like a tough season of depression. And one night I met Jesus in my room. It was this crazy scenario. I can tell you the story later. But I literally woke up at like 1052 and felt his presence, if I could say it that way, in his in my room. I went back to sleep because I can go to sleep fairly quickly. And about eight minutes later, I woke up again and felt his presence there. I literally rolled out of my bed, tangled up in my sheets, and gave my life to Jesus because I was, I was in a tough spot. I was desperate. I could tell you this, 
When you're, when you're uh, depressed, passion isn't something you have extra of. You just feel low, man. You don't have a lot of desire. You don't have a lot of willpower. You don't have a lot of drive. You just feel zapped. So I was 16, and I met Jesus in a, I don't know, it, it really changed me, man. I mean, the next morning, I got up and said hi to my mom in the morning. She looked at me like I was crazy. She's like, what have you done with my son? Because I was polite. <laughs> Usually, I was just a jerk, you know, when I'd wake up. And she's like, what happened to you? It's like checking my temperature. Um, I told her, I think I met Jesus last night. And she's like, oh, that's excellent news. As I started developing a friendship with him, I started getting my passion back, my passion for life. I started getting healed up in some areas. Because why, why was I depressed? Well, because I'd been through a lot of pain. I didn't know what to do with it. One of the most typical depre- uh, definitions of depression is when you don't know what to do with your anger, so you just keep it inside. You don't feel right about just like, hammering other people with it. They, they weren't the perpetrators. They weren't the people that hurt you. But so what are you going to do with it? You just keep it inside. You keep it inside. You keep it inside. Well, if you have that much anger kind of rolling around in there for, a long ti- for long enough, it's kind of a depressing way to live, right? So anyway, I started hanging out with Jesus, and he started helping me unpack all of that stuff, which I totally needed to do. But I started getting my passion back. And this, the guy who wrote this, this, is, this guy is named his Paul. He said, whether I live or die, I'm going to make it my life's passion to live a life that's pleasing to Jesus. Huh. That's interesting. You know, Paul went through some pretty heavy stuff. I don't know if you know this. Like a bunch of people several times tried to throw rocks at him and kill him. Rocks! Like they picked up rocks and threw them at him. At one point, everybody that was throwing rocks at him actually thought he was dead. They hammered him with rocks. The dude had been shipwrecked. Like, like imagine yourself, not close to a shore, but out in deep water with these crazy waves going on, and then your ship starts breaking to pieces. And everybody thinks all, they're all going to die. And you're out there like sharks, all kinds of different stuff. Everybody's freaking out. You get washed up on shore. You're sitting there gathering up some wood for a fire. And a snake bites you in the hand. It's super poisonous. This is Paul's story. Like, not a super awesome story. He went through some super tough stuff. Lost friends. Lost family. He went through some serious suffering. The guy ended up getting his head cut off, you guys. For real. His head was removed from his shoulder. Not an awesome life in that regard. But man, what he did was while he was living, even while he's in jail, dude is tearing it up. He was crushing it. He was living every moment of his life in a way that pleased Jesus. That's what he wanted to do. Do you think he ever got depressed? Uh, yeah, probably. You ever feel, feel like he got low? Yeah, probably. But something else happened. That's what I want to chat about. One more. The psalmist says, My love for you has my heart on fire. Listen to that. My love for you has my heart on fire. Have you ever experienced that? 
Have you ever experienced that where your heart is just like on fire for something? Shake of hands, heads, anything? Yeah? I have too. And I remember the first time I ever saw Tara, I was leading worship. She came walking down the center aisle. <laughs> My heart was on fire, man. I was like, I was actually singing this song called Here I Am to Worship. I was in the chorus, right, when she was walking down. I was like, here I am to, sorry, Lord, worship, you know. (laughs) She sat down in the front row, super distracted the entire time. The more I got to know her, the more my heart felt like it was burning on fire. Like, I wanted to get to know this woman. But I haven't just had it for Tara. I've I've had it for a lot of people. I'm like, man, you're cool. I want to hang out with you. But there's been some really special times where I've had this feeling, this like my heart is on fire for Jesus. It's been awesome. Just, just to let you know, full transparency, that is not my normal story. I want it to be. And I do things regularly to try to be like, hey, I would like my heart to be on fire. But you know what? We get busy. We encounter loss. We get wounded. Weird stuff happens in our lives, and it's really hard to maintain this super passionate fire for God all the time. Well, the good news is God doesn't expect that from you. I'll tell you why. In Philippians chapter 2, check this out. It says, God will continually revitalize you, implanting within you the passion to do what pleases him. Let me read it in a different version. It says, not in your own strength. It's God who is all the while working in you, energizing and creating in you passion and power and desire, both to will and to actually do his good pleasure. So here's the thing. There's part you have to play and there's a part God has to play. He is super ready to refill you, revitalize you, and put crazy amounts of passion inside of you. But there's stuff that we have to do too. It's not like we can live however we want, and then God's over there just filling us up with passion for him. Why is that? It's because it's this thing called friendship. If you never hang out with God and you don't really like him, you're probably not going to be like, yeah, God, pour your revitalization, your refreshment, your passion into me. You're going to be like, why don't you just kind of stay over there? Does that make sense? So in other words, yeah, there's a part to play in you maintaining, and me maintaining fire, a, a sense of passion, of emotion with God. It's called friendship. If you hang out with him, chances are that you'll be more passionate about him. If you never hang out with him, chances are you'll probably not have too much passion about him. Does that make sense to you? Now, I will say this. Paul, one of the guys that I just referenced here a second ago, that, that is a writer of several different books in the Bible, he was pretty passionate before he met Jesus. His passion was, if you're not following the law, I'm either going to kill you or chuck you in jail. Dude was super passionate. So passionate, he was breaking up families and throwing ladies in jail, throwing men in jail. Killing people? Not great. He was super passionate, though. 
Well, what happened? He met Jesus. He started hanging out with him a bunch. And like several years, like 14 years later, he's got this focused passion for Jesus. Because he hung out with him a lot. So bottom line, uh, I'll, I'll explain to you this way. One time I was traveling around to different universities and we were talking to different students about um, about how to talk to people about Jesus. Some people would call this apologetics. Uh, some people would call it evangelism. We were just doing this event. And when we were starting to create like what we were going to talk about and all that stuff, I was hanging out with my buddy Jason. And I said, you know, there's lots of places that talk about apologetics and evangelism and like the how-tos. And usually they go somewhere like this. Like if I met just with you, Andy, for the first time, I'd be like, hey, man, what's up? I'm Dave. And I'm Andrew. And um, hey, quick question. Any uh, idea where you're going to go when you die? We just we just met and we're talking about my death and it hasn't even been 30 seconds. This is already a great conversation. You know, so like that was the context for the evangelism talks is like, how do you, quote, defend your faith? How do you have a logical, intelligent conversation with somebody that doesn't believe like you believe? So we're sitting there kicking ideas around about how to communicate this stuff. And I threw out this idea. I said, you know what, man? If you take evangelism outside of the church, what is it? It's talking about what you like. Like you evangelize about stuff all the time that you like. You don't have any problem doing it either. You'll do it online. You'll do it on social media. You'll talk to your friends, whatever. You'll talk to family members. If you find something that you really like, you're going to talk about it. I said, I, as we were forming this, this, you know, conference, I said, I wonder if people just have such a hard time talking about Jesus to other people because they don't like him. Like they never hang out with him. They don't actually get to know him. It's more like, uh, I'm in a pinch and I need some help, so uh, Jesus, hi. Hey, could you bail me out of this? Thanks. See you later. But it's not really developing a friendship with him there. So anyway, we decided to go down that, that track, that idea of instead of trying to get everybody fired up to do evangelism, like, you know, the implication there is, why aren't you talking to people about Jesus? Like, what's your problem? He's awesome. Don't you know that? Don't you know he's so cool? Like, no, that's that's not going to light a fire in my heart. I don't know about you, but if somebody talked to me that way, I wouldn't be like, yeah, I'm going to go talk to Jesus since I've been shamed just now. This is awesome. <laughs> like what what changed it for me was it wasn't shame. It was friendship. When I actually started hanging out with Jesus, I started talking about it. Let me give you an example. I love sushi. Mm-hmm. Some of you hate sushi with a passion. The thought of it makes you want to bark. When I'm talking to people about sushi, I'm pretty animated. Like, I like the taste of it. And there's specific ways that you eat it. And so there's questions, guys. There's questions that you need to ask people when you're talking about sushi. Like, for instance, if you talk to somebody, like, I saw you shaking your head like, no, I'm not your sushi guy. What's your name? Scott. Yeah, I'm Dave. Nice to see you. So anyway... I roll up to Scott, and I'm like, dude, you want to go grab some sushi? And he goes, oh, no way, dude. Absolutely not. Never going to happen. And I said, wait, wait, 
have you tried it before? Well, what if Scott said, no? I'm like, well, you can't just opt out if you haven't ever tried it. Let's go try some, then you can say. You know, that's one option. But in Scott's case, he has tried it. So my next question for Scott is, did you try it with somebody that knew how to eat it? Is there is there a very specific way, in my opinion, that maximizes these flavors? He's, he might say, I'm not a fish guy. Oddly enough, I'm not that big of a fish guy either, depending on, you know, like, if we're talking trout, no. Mm -mm. Bass, probably not. Nope. No, no. But if we're talking about Alaskan fish, salmon, I can get behind that. I can get behind that. I can get behind some rockfish or some cod, ooh, some halibut. But if I was going to hang out with you, Scott, I'd be like, well, did you go with somebody that really knew how to eat it? Because when you do your soy sauce, unless you're allergic to soy, you, you know, put that in there. You put a little of uh, this green paste in there called wasabi. Don't put too much, though, because it'll totally fry your brains. It's like <laughs> it's overwhelming. But you mix it up there into like a really nice thing, uh, you know, kind of uh, tint or color. Then what you want to do is take the sushi roll, dip it. But you don't want to put that soy sauce and wasabi on your tongue. It'll wreck the whole flavor. So you have to flip it over and then put it in there so that the flavors marble around in your mouth. You get the different flavors of all the fish and the rice and the seaweed. And, and then in comes the salt. So you got the sweet and salty thing. And it's so good. So the question is, I mean, and he's still saying like, no way. <laughs> okay. So at that level, I'm like, all right, that's cool, man, no problem, right? It doesn't offend me that he is, like, digging in his heels and saying, I will never, under any circumstances, do what you've just described. It doesn't bother me. It's okay. All right? Why did I just go off on this sushi tangent? I'll tell you why. Because when I'm interacting with people about Jesus, you'll get pretty much those same exact responses. Like, if you say, hey, Mike, have you ever met Jesus? Mike might be like, it's ridiculous. I've uh, never entertained the idea of being in a relationship with Jesus. I'm like, yeah, but have you ever met him? Because if you haven't met him, you can't be like, no way. You don't even know him. So you know, turn him down. You've never met him. So that's a, that's a conversation. Well, if when I went to Mike and I was like, hey, Mike, you know Jesus? Yeah, I tried that, man. Just total bleh, brain damage. I'm like, huh. Did you hang out with him with other people that actually knew him? That like really knew how to develop a friendship with him? Or did you just kind of go? Because there's a lot of people that follow Jesus, but they don't actually know him. So if you hang out with a bunch of people like that, you might have a bad experience. Would you be open to trying to hang out with me? I actually like him. Maybe you'd have a different experience. Now, if Mike was, like, digging in his heels like Scott and saying, nope, under no circumstances would I ever entertain Jesus ever, is that offensive to me? Well, no, he's not rejecting me. He might be rejecting Jesus. Uh, does it hurt my heart? Well, yeah. But it doesn't offend me, you know? So then what do I have to worry about? If I'm talking to people about Jesus. My heart doesn't have to beat out of my chest. All I'm doing is talking about somebody I like. My heart doesn't beat out of my chest when I'm telling somebody about my, my wife. I like her. I'm not like, oh, what are they going to think? What are they going to say? I got to say it just right. <laughs> no. I'm talking about my wife, man. You don't want to hear about it? That's fine. 
not going to be a jerk about it, but seriously, it's like not a, not a big deal. If you don't want to hear about my wife, I'll talk, talk to you about her all day long, though, because I like her. So we're talking about passion. How do you develop passion? What is passion? What is this thing? What is this concept? First of all, it really does come down to something. This is a bedrock idea. I'm going to read it to you. This guy named Thomas Burton wrote it down. He says this. Everybody doing okay? You bored to tears? You doing all right? Do you need to do a little stretch? A little neck crack? Anything? All right. Thomas Merton says this. The root, the very foundation, when you get down to it, the root of Christian love is not the will to love. It actually isn't the desire or passion that you are generating with your will. That's not the root of Christian love. It doesn't depend on you. The root of Christian love is faith to believe that there is someone who loves you deeply. And that someone is Jesus. Like if you want to get down to it, man, the bedrock fundamentals of Christian love, it's, it's about this. You are deeply loved by God. You. With all your weirdness, with all your wounds, with all your little ticks, with all your, what is that word? It's like being sus. It's like being suspect. It's like um, with all of your, uh, uh, questions isn't the right word. You guys, are you going with me? Like, are you able to discern the word that is not in my brain right now? <laughs> what is that? resistance. Thank you. Bless you. Yeah, that's exactly right. You're a mind reader. She reads mind. <laughs> so you and all your resistance, yeah, God loves you. Not flippantly either. He loves you so much it hurts. He loves you so much he was willing to subject himself to radical amounts of pain and rejection. And he loves you enough to sit with you every single day and every single minute through all your garbage. Good decisions, bad decisions, whatever you're doing. He's willing to sit right there with you. Not just willing. He's passionate about it. Because he's passionate about you. He doesn't care if you're an absolute bonehead making terrible decisions. He's like, I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to keep coming after you over and over and over again. You put a middle finger in my face. I'm just going to keep showing up, keep showing up, keep showing up because I'm passionate about you and I'm not letting you go. It's crazy. When you start to realize that God is that passionate, that full of love about you, it's a natural response there. It's like, whoa. It's like a fire in your heart. Like the psalmist says, my heart's on fire. How does that happen? When you get a revelation in other words, when your eyes go and open up and you go, oh, oh, God loves me. He loves me so much it hurts him. He loves me so much he put himself through crazy amounts of pain in order to communicate it to me. Oh, there's something that happens in your heart. Let's pray briefly. God, right now, would you begin to open up our eyes with that, that word revelation? Would you reveal your love to us over and over again. Would you show us you're not super far away? You're right here, super close. 
closer than our skin, right in the middle of all of our difficult times or of our good times, wherever we happen to be. You're right here with us. Show us, please, reveal to us God's love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say this, and then I'm going to finish up. One of my favorite books about desire or passion is authored by this guy named Christopher West. I actually have a copy of it today if you want to take a picture of it. The book is called Fill These Hearts. Fantastic book about desire. Totally rocked me, actually, uh, in so many ways. Fantastic book. But I just want to read you this excerpt from the book. It says this. We all have a universal ache as human beings. We have a longing for something. Do you? Maybe you can't put your, put your finger on what that something is, but you can feel it. Sometimes if you're brave enough to feel it, you have this sense of desperation about your own poverty, about your own need. If you get quiet long enough, you can start feeling a longing, a restlessness, a desire, something. It's like you know that you're made for more than what you're experiencing. But that something, that more, that something more is missing. It eludes us. Whatever it is, we want it bad, and it hurts. Many of us spend a lot of time wondering and asking and searching for things that can fill that longing, that ache. What do you search for? How do you try to fix that ache? Like all of us do it a little bit differently, but we all do it every single day. All of us have an ache, and we try to fill that thing. How do you do it? Does that something that we're looking for even exist? Sometimes we think that. And is there any hope of finding that something? Is there hope that we can satisfy our deepest desire for happiness or for lasting commitment? This is who we are. We are creatures of longing. Put your hand on your heart if you want to. And just realize you are a creature of longing. God made you to desire, to long, to be passionate. He made you a creature of longing. You can put your hand down if you want. At the core, there is an ache. There's a burning. It's a throbbing. It's a yearning. It's a deep desire. It's a collective cry that arises from the depths of our humanity for something to fill our hearts that's what makes us human. Desire is a part of our design. If you're taking notes, write that down. Desire is a part of our design. You were created by God to have desires. In other words, desires aren't all bad. And in this book, I won't get into it, but he totally blew my mind. Like, like if you talk about sexual desires, for instance, we grew up thinking sexual desires are bad. They're bad, they're bad, they're bad, they're bad, they're bad. This guy totally flipped it on its ear. He's like, what if every sexual desire that you had was actually God tapping you on the shoulder, inviting you to aim your desire and passion at heaven? Like, what? 
You mean every every time I have a sexual desire, what if that's God actually tapping me on the shoulder, inviting me closer into relationship with him? Because every time I have a sexual desire, it feels like that's me getting sucked away from him. Well, what if it was God actually tapping you on the shoulder, being like, hey, you want to hang out? Like, do you want to redirect that passion in this direction? Dude, if I would have learned that when I was 16, ugh, that saved me so much brain damage. Anyway, it's a mind bender. It's a really fascinating concept that maybe God would, in your desires, tap you on the shoulder and invite you into close friendship with him. Huh, interesting. Again, he's not going to tempt you with evil. He's not trying to, like, get you off the path. But you are a creature of desire, and he made you that way. According to the Christian faith, the ecstasy that we yearn for at the deepest level of our being is precisely what God wants to give you. And that something that you're looking for is love. That's what you're looking for. Remember that old U2 song? But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Remember that? Anybody that's over like 35? <laughs> that's what makes the gospel, the story of Jesus, actually good news. He put a desire in you that something that you're looking for, it's love and it's eternal love and it's eternal ecstasy and it's awesome. He put it in you. So, wrapping this up. Didn't I say that five minutes ago? Jesus says, what's that? That means nothing. You remember. Ask, seek, and knock. This is the invitation from Jesus. He tells you, ask me for stuff. Seek after stuff. Knock on the door. Let's go. Like, leverage your life toward good things. Go for it, man. Release your passion. Be filled with passion. Aim your desire at heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and I'm the life. You want any of that stuff? You want to find your way? That would be me. You want to find some truth? That would also be me. Would you like to find some life? Yes, that would be me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And if following Jesus is understood as merely legalistic adherence to a moral code that makes no allowance for somebody to seek, to skin your knees, try to figure stuff out, then no wonder people aren't particularly interested in continuing to seek him. It's not about adhering to a moral code and doing everything perfect. It's about realizing that you're a creature of longing. You have desires and passions. Where are you going to aim those things? Jesus didn't come to crash your party and squelch your seeking. He encouraged you to do it. Ask, seek, knock. For anyone who asks, receives. This is Jesus talking. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. The first words placed in the mouth of Jesus in the book of John wasn't, hey, everybody, so here's the game plan. Follow all my rules and you won't go to hell. The end. Let's go over and grab some dinner. Not the first words out of his mouth in the book of John. Do you want to hear what they are? 
first words out of Jesus' mouth in the book of John. He probes our heart with a question. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? You, not somebody else. You. Like me. What am I looking for? Good question. And so it really is true. Jesus came so you could have life and you could have it to the full. And his, his invitation this morning is actually to be friends with you, to heal you, to be in relationship with you. And so I want to extend that invitation to you. Like lots of us in the room have said, yeah, I signed up for a friendship with Jesus a long time ago. But did you know that, that the invitation is still as real today as it was back then? He's still inviting you. Hey, let's be closer friends. Let's hang out more. Not because he's needy. Because he hurts you so much, or he loves you so much, it hurts. He, he like, really wants to hang with you. He really wants to spend time with you. That's awesome. In order to continue, or even start a friendship with Jesus, and surrender to him, there's something really key that's needed. It's humility. Like, you can't be like, yeah, so let's develop a friendship, but it's going to be on my terms. With Jesus, no. It's like you surrender to him. You humble yourself, and you're like, I don't know how to do this thing, so take over. The old country song, Jesus, take the wheel. What the hey? Carry on, buddy. All of us are messed up. We all need help, we need healing, we need hope, we need redemption, and we are literally powerless to change apart from Jesus. So, if you want to explore what a relationship with Jesus looks like, I'd love to chat with you. There's other people in the room I could introduce you to. Love to talk with you about that and help you figure it out. If you're like, eh, I've been a friendship with Jesus for a long time, but I kind of don't have a lot of passion now. Like, I read my devotional. I don't know if I really hang out with them, though. I don't know if we're still, if I'm, like, really being intentional about our friendship. I'm in a rhythm of religious activity, but maybe I'm just not really building our friendship well. I would like to get back on that train. Well, today's a perfect day to jump back on. If you've never been like, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, great day to start, man. Take some humility for all of us. Is this helpful for you? Help you understand? Yeah, there's a part that you have to play in passion, but there's also, man, Jesus is the one that puts passion in you. So hang out with him a bunch. You'll be fairly passionate. Let's do a little Q&A, and then we'll hit the road. And then we'll go for another 30 minutes. <laughs> Kidding. I know we're all hungry. Any uh, questions, thoughts? Anything occurred to you? Scott, you got anything? I'm putting you on the spot. Think about it. See if anything comes up. Mm -hmm. Yep. Anybody? Questions back there? Yeah. Yeah, Christopher Ross. Yeah, fill these hearts. Fantastic book. I'll show you. If you want, you can. I'll grab it for you after the service and snap a pic. You did? 
Red Book, yeah, it's on Amazon. Yeah, paperback, it's a great book. The guy has Catholic roots and absolutely interesting. That's always kind of fascinating for me because I didn't grow up in a Catholic context and so I don't have that framework. But it's so cool to see truth in a variety of different streams of the family. It's really interesting. That book rocked me. So good. <laughs> What's that? Favorite sushi roll? Dude, I had one yesterday. <laughs> it made my hair stand up. It's, uh, it's fairly difficult to do. Um, what was it called? It was called a Rocky roll, I think. Dude, it had, let me just paint a picture, okay? It had, um, it had smoked salmon. It had then some cooked salmon, kind of baked salmon on top. It had some of this dynamite sauce on it. <laughs> I mean, ooh, really nice. Um, it had some avocado, some cucumber. Mm. And then it had some little uh, scallions on it, you know, like little tiny. Is a scallion is the, it's the little, like an onion. Yeah. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm. And it had some other sauce. And then I dipped it in the, uh, in the wasabi and the soy sauce. Made happy days. I did a little jig. I was like, huh. Little dance. It was so good. How about you? What's your favorite roll? The L.A. roll? What's in it? Wait, where'd you get it? Oh, where's that? Listen to this, dude. I've actually had sushi on the island of Okinawa. Yeah, in Japan. It was crazy good, too. They brought out this one little thing. Guys, just hang with me here, especially you, Scott. Listen, they hit it with a blowtorch on the way out, man. I mean, it, it literally, it was like, like that. It, it was so good. I frothed at the mouth. I do. I have a passion for sushi. Uh, any other questions, thoughts? David, any thoughts back there? A sushi club? We should start one. Scott's the chair. <laughs> What's that? Really? Oh, so we need to hit some sushi then. Uh-huh, that is tough. Yes, it is. But you know, there's so many great options. The bento box is a great option if you like that type of thing. Uh, the miso soup. Seaweed salad gets stuck in your teeth like you wouldn't believe, but it's delicious. Okay, guys, enough of that. Because uh, <laughs> I literally could talk to you all day about that. Peter, any questions, thoughts, buddy? No? Anybody else? Yeah, you're hungry now. I quit talking. Let's roll. Okay. Let me pray a blessing over you and we'll hit the road. Yeah, sushi roll. Yes. Let's pray. If you want to, you can put your hands out like this. You don't have to, but you're welcome to as I speak this blessing over you. May the Lord bless you. May he bless you with some curiosity. May he bless you with passion. May he revitalize you, man, like literally filling you up with passion and intrigue and curiosity to use your life to run after him as hard as you can. I'm not talking about striving. I'm not talking about religious activity. I'm talking about a heart that's on fire. May you have a heart that's on fire. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you. May you feel the warmth of his smile. May you uh, feel and sense and understand how much he loves you, that, it, that he loves you so much it hurts. 
May he empower you with the Holy Spirit so you can be who he made you to be and do what he made you to do, and may you not miss it. May he be with you, his presence be with you. He promised it, but I just bless you with his presence. And finally, bless you with his peace in your body, your soul, and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.